Hi, everybody. I'm Danielle Yet from the Critical Faith team. We're taking a break from our usual episode format for a few weeks to bring you a very special series of interviews about worldview topics and the studies that go on here at ICS. A little while ago, ICS junior member Grace Carhart sat down with our senior members and asked them to share their perspectives on four themes, wonder, heartbreak, hope, and worldview. Each episode highlights these themes in turn. Last week, Grace interviewed our senior members about wonder. This week, she's going to talk with them about heartbreak. So without further ado, here's Grace. So my first question is, uh, if you could get rid of one philosopher from the canon, and we would never have to read them again, who would it be? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. Oh. Bob had the same reaction. <laughs> Eliminate a philosopher. Well, I know that there are, there are certain philosophical positions that do irritate me. Although grappling with those philosophers and reading them to figure out the irritation means I don't want to put them out of the canon. I don't know. Maybe, maybe Democritus? Even Democritus, right? He teaches us about matter. Some things about matter. I don't know. I, I don't think I'd get rid of any of them. You know, I want to say something like Adam Smith. Get rid of him. But, but, um, but Adam Smith is, is, you know, there are the ethics of Adam Smith. And, uh, you know, they're, they're okay. <laughs> it's just the way Adam Smith has been read. You know, it just kills me to say anybody. Like, I'd, you know, I might, if I was to pick one of the big ones in the canon, probably Descartes. But then, you know, there would be all kinds of ways in which people would tell me why that would be a bad thing. But I think at least what we've inherited from Descartes has been pretty harmful culturally in that. It's given us all this anxiety about whether or not we're in touch with the real world and created all this pressure to put the ground under our own feet in ways that really brilliant philosophers have to come along and try to give us therapy for. You know, when we stop talking, I'm probably going to think of someone. I might have to phone you up and say, oh, I, you know, thinking of um, such and such, but um, nobody's coming to mind at the moment. Okay, lesson learned. You should not ask four PhDs of philosophy to recommend which philosophers should be pitched from the canon. You will get a lesson on nominalism, the effects of Cartesian doubt on modern society, and a list of names that should be included in the canon. But these mini-lectures are what make these conversations so interesting, and part of why I think philosophy is such an important discipline. Philosophy prompts us to think about what kind of authors we're reading, what kind of information we're consuming, and how we're using that data in our everyday lives, even the kind of data we get from Adam Smith or Democritus. 
So today on the ICS podcast, we think about an interesting and confusing kind of data, heartbreak. What is heartbreak? How do we live with experiences of heartbreak? And what does it mean to be heartbroken and to have faith at the same time? During this episode, we'll hear from the four ICS faculty members we heard from in our last episode on Wonder, Ron Kuypers, Bob Sweetman, Rebecca Smick, and Nick Ansel. We'll sit together on some of the difficult issues of lived experience, trying to work out together how to be with suffering and live well. And we hope, possibly not angering our fellow philosophers. So any Descartes scholars out there, please, you know, don't send me any hate mail. I'm sure there's a much more nuanced way to read him and the problematics he was dealing with that you know, he comes he comes out okay. This episode on heartbreak is the second in a four-part series of Critical Faith, the ICS podcast sponsored by the Center for Philosophy, Religion, and Social Ethics. For this series, I have sat down with the four main professors at ICS to chat about academia, personal experience, and religious life. As with the other episodes in this series, I began my interview by asking a faculty member to bring a bit of prose or poetry that pertained to the theme. Thinking about the theme of heartbreak, we kick off with Nick Ansel's meditation on a poem that isn't quite a poem. I, I think first and foremost of music, and so I got thinking about lyrics to various songs, and there's a ton of kind of, you know, songs, great songs even, about heartbreak. And normally it's the, the person that's singing has experienced the heartbreak, so it's been imposed on them, someone who's broken their heart. And a very small number of songs, it seems to me, that the singer is the one who has broken the heart of somebody else. And I thought very quickly of Kate Bush's song, Running Up That Hill, because one of the interpretations of that is that she's trying to make a deal with God and to change places with someone. And the interpretation that I like is she's ending a relationship with someone and she wishes it was possible that the roles could be reversed because she realizes in her love for the other person, amongst other things, that actually, perhaps counterintuitively, it's somehow easier or less difficult to if the other person ends the relationship and you're on the receiving end. And that's um, an exception. She is the heartbreaker, a very reluctant heartbreaker. But I thought of another song. So there's a band that you will have heard of, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. And I remember them breaking big time in the UK in the 70s with an album called American Girl. But I'm going to read lyrics to a song that comes from Tom Petty's, I think it's his first solo album, so it's without the band, The Heartbreakers, but it's uh, the theme is there, and he is the heartbreaker. And there are a number of things going on at the same time, it seems, and the character who's singing the song, or the character, the persona that he takes on at least, is wanting to get out of L.A. and to leave L.A. behind. So it's called Free Falling, and it's not poetry, it's song lyrics, so it's a bit hard to sort of read them out. I'll try and capture a little bit of how it's scanned in music. This is uh, the song, Free Falling. She's a good girl, loves her mama, loves Jesus and America too. She's a good girl, 
crazy about Elvis, loves horses and her boyfriend too. It's a long day living in Reseda. There's a freeway running through the yard and I'm a bad boy because I don't even miss her. I'm a bad boy for breaking her heart. And I'm free, free falling. All the vampires walking through the valley move west down Ventura Boulevard and all the bad boys are standing in the shadows and the good girls are home with broken hearts. And I'm free. I'm free falling. Yeah, I'm free. Free falling. I want to glide down over Mulholland. I want to write her name in the sky. I'm going to free fall out into nothing. I'm going to leave this world for a while. And I'm free. Free falling. I would love to hear why you thought of this song. Well, I mean, I came at it in a roundabout way. And the thing is, he seems so callous, this guy, right? And yet there's something about this song that hooks into something in me that feels kind of positive. I mean, I listen to music in terms of albums, not just isolated track. So, and there's some, you know, Won't Back Down is another is another song early on in this album, which was a very important song to me personally at a certain time. And it sort of pulled some of these other songs into its orbit. So there's something about standing one's ground, being free, and I'll say a little bit about that in a moment. And the thing is, I mean, one of the things I would say on reflection is you can be as sincere as anything, you can be as principled as anything, and yet heartbreak can still come your way. There's no way of avoiding it by living right. And it happens in part because you can't force the world to fit your desires. There are different kinds of heartbreak, not just romantic heartbreak, but even within the area of romance and love and you know, relationships and so forth. There are heartbreaks that you're never going to recover from. I mean, the heartbreak of the death of a child is, is of a completely different order. So, I mean, I, I don't want to over-universalize what I'm saying. I think you can't force the world to fit your desires. When you go through heartbreak, I, it does give you the chance to really grapple with, well, what are your true desires? What is your true heart? In that sense, so heartbreak is can become an occasion where you find yourself, find your heart. You can turn it towards something positive. In that sense, and I think that when you do that, if you go through heartbreak, you do get to a point, and you wake up one day, and you're surprised by this experience of freedom, and you're free from something, and you're free not just from a certain level of pain, but I think there can be a sense of being free from something that might have boxed you in and prevented you from finding yourself in the fullest sense. So I wonder if it's that kind of 
strange kind of surprising experience that I kind of comes through to me in this song, even though the character himself I would not want to emulate. Although I think he's also trying to get out of L.A., so I think uh, there's, there's more going on. It's like, is he like the vampires walking down the valley? You know, he's observing all the bad boys standing in the shadows, and yet he's described himself as a bad boy. But he's also getting out of the city which has the bad boys. So it's complex. But that sense of freedom, not a, as a result of just being an escapist and being irresponsible, but getting out of getting out of a city that is perhaps closing down his life. Yeah, I found that this song has been a strange kind of moment of defiance in it. Freedom, which is a very mysterious thing. Maybe it's no surprise that thinking on the theme of heartbreak leads someone to music. After all, love is one of the most notable subjects in song lyrics, and love always goes hand in hand with heartbreak. Still, as Tom Petty sees it, at least as interpreted by Nick Ansel, there's a kind of freedom in experiencing heartbreak, a kind of breaking with one's past. To continue the conversation, I asked the interviewees to talk about their gut reaction to the word heartbreak. What immediately comes to mind? Is it relational or romantic heartbreak? Political? Familial? Existential heartbreak? Yeah. I think, okay, so I, I, I mean, I'm, I, again, I was sort of thinking about this earlier. Do I feel blessed in that I haven't had uh, an extraordinary heartbreak? I mean, that's not true to, to life in general and heartbreaks are of all sizes and varieties so to speak but my life has has not been one that's had a you know a tragedy uh, like other people that I know so I think I think imaginatively speaking uh, my what makes me what has heightened my understanding of what tragedy or heartbreak might be is the experience of having children. So there is this, you know, this uh, coinage around, you know, you're as happy as your happiest child. And that is, you know, it's a truism about being a parent. Um, but it is, but it does give you, it does, ch it's a hugely perspective changing experience around what constitutes, you know, you are. I used to joke that I had, prior to having children, I could see myself as being an aesthete of some kind because you you can sit at a certain distance and you know take in intellectually and also aesthetically all sorts of experimental you can take a distance on on you know the ways of various modes of artistic modes you might say and once i had children i found it much harder to do that because the because the stretch of the imagination that was being pushed on takes you to that space where it's an unimaginable hurt. It's a, a loss of proportions that are just not recoverable. And so I think that would, I think that I'm uh, happy to say that my children are well and fine and flourishing, um, but it, it does open that space where you realize the, where, where tragedy can exist. And, and it opens the space uh, towards other people you know, who have experienced that kind of suffering. 
Yeah. Well, so heart is a is a uh, a term that has a lot of cachet for me, uh, intellectual cachet as well as emotional cachet. Uh, so intellectually, it's uh, in in the Reformational tradition that uh, you know I've really given my working life to. Um, it has a it's it's a term that names kind of you know the deepest the very deepest sort of a sense of oneself as a unity that one has so you know it's so the 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 most important things are the things that as it were flow from the heart um and heartbreak in that context is uh maybe has to do with you know you try and live an integral life so you try and live out of that uh, those those deepest issues that get at your 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 deepest and maybe you could say your truest self, and uh, the assumption is, of course, that there's a kind of unity or oneness or singleness about your heart, uh, and indeed in the scriptures it talks about single heartedness. You know, this is a very very important sort of uh, norm for you know to shoot at spiritually, so to speak. And my own experience, of course, is that I am anything but single-hearted. And most of the time, I can ignore, can ignore that. You know, I, I get on with things, I do my best, I, you know, I, I try hard to serve the way I'm supposed to, and so on and so forth. But every once in a while, something happens that, that brings me up short where I suddenly realize that really, at, even at that most deepest level, that I'm a divided person, and that there are impulses that I don't recognize when I speak in a confessional mode about myself and about my deepest identity and my deepest desires and so on and so forth, that are clearly there because you know, something has happened that doesn't fit with that narrative at all. It fits with something else. And that's a moment where you realize, okay, I am failing to be what I so long to be. So that's a kind of heartbreak. And I've definitely had the experience. Yeah, and I probably just like most people will think of romantic heartbreak right away is the first thing that, you know, getting your heart broken or whatever. That would probably be the first thing that pops into my head. There's that scene in The Simpsons when uh, Ralph is dating Lisa and uh, she, they're on the Krusty the Clown show and Lisa's not really into it, but Ralph is uh, super intense and he, and he says on live television that he's going to marry her when she grows up and she screams out, no! And then all of a sudden it pans back to Bart and Lisa watching the episode and Bart has the remote control in his hands, and she says to, to Lisa, look, you can see exactly the moment where you break his heart, and he sort of slow freeze frames into the point where he's like, and uh, has his heart broken. But, and so that was the first image that popped into my head when you said the word heartbreak. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I think, uh, well, you know, and if I want to kind of go philosophical from that rather silly basis, I think, you know, Heartbreak can happen in existential and political and religious ways when something you thought you could count on gets yanked out from under you. And, uh, and I think that can happen in a lot of different ways.
So, heartbreak. Already, it seems compelling, weirdly, but also intimate and strange at the same time. To continue the conversation, I asked my interviewees about how they think other people experience heartbreak. I wanted to know if they would understand heartbreak as a universal experience, something shared by everyone, or if each person's kind of heartbreak was incomparable to other people's. As part of this question, I asked if they thought a person could experience heartbreak on behalf of someone else, maybe even someone they didn't know or had never met. I think that a lot of people listen to music and they connect to the songs as a kind of an initial connection or resonance that you find somehow. Um, but that's an opening to um, having a sense of somebody else experiencing the world. It needs to be that resonance first, the connection point, but then that's an entry into, you know, it's a doorway into a room, a, a room beyond. So I remember when, um, so Joni Mitchell's, Joni Mitchell had an album called Don Juan's Reckless Daughter, and it, it came out in 77, I think it was. And there was a DJ in the UK who listened, who um, played the whole of the first side of you know, the LP versions, four songs back to back. Um, and these four songs are all interconnected. And um, it kind of just pulled me into Jane Mitchell's music from that point onwards. And I was, she writes very much as a, as a woman. And it's, um, it completely, it opened the door to the way women experience the world in ways that men don't. And it, it, changed me straight away it was my face the world changed the world had become bigger uh so yeah you you can how does it work i don't know but you, you can um it music works on you in that way there's the connection point and then once the connection is established i mean if you listen to a lot of blues music or just you know a lot of rock music, which is rooted in the blues and quite guitar-oriented, but it's like sort of what you can do musically with a guitar in terms of bending strings and so forth is fantastic for conveying emotional dynamics of pain and hope and at the same time and so forth. So it, it, listening to music can deepen and open up your emotional life and your empathy and you you start to learn the language, pre-verbal language of, of pain and hope and process and working things through and tension, resolution, and so forth. Um, so it has a very formative um, impact. So yeah, it can prepare you for heartbreak, although your heartbreak is yours and nobody else's. So it's a very singular thing. I, again, maybe you have to come at uh, come at it from a common grace perspective that our capacity to feel compassion, you know, for those who are distant from us, who are, you know, in circumstances which are beyond our comprehension, really. Yeah, I think that's a fundamental way. I'm happy to say that is, I believe that to be fundamental to our humanity. Yes, uh, I'm 
happy, shall we say, that I can feel that kind of happy. Yeah. You know, for and we live in a world where we are much more, uh, we have much greater capacities to see uh, and to hear about, um, you know, global heartbreak. And, uh, you know, I think it's a, it should reorder our understanding of life, for sure. <laughs> the philosopher me wants to know what are we actually talking about before I can answer these questions. Um, I, well, I believe in, in empathy and things like that. I don't know if that means you're heartbroken for someone else or what that exactly means. I don't know. But I think it's, I think it's universal, sure. I mean, what would it, what would it be like to go through life without ever being disappointed, without ever being, uh, feel like something you trusted, uh, wasn't trustworthy? Maybe they're, maybe they're really lucky people who haven't gone through it, but I think that, uh, life is pain and everybody has to go through these trials and, um, some, some people can make it and some people, some people don't. Um, some people need more help from others and other people can shoulder it. I don't know. I'm just completely talking off the top of my head here. You know, and there's probably a sense in which if you never experienced heartbreak, you might not have been really living. So maybe there's um, maybe there's that side to it too. Maybe it's not good to not experience heartbreak. Because, well, you know, it's... So I have this dog, Argo, who I love. And I know he's a ticking time bomb of heartbreak because dogs don't live as long as humans. And, you know, unless I get hit by a bus or get some, you know, terminal disease, the, I'm going to outlive that dog. So... You know, so uh, I talked to my friend Jeff Hawking, and he says, you know, I would never get a dog because they're just big ticking time bombs of sadness. And then I'm thinking, yeah, but then you didn't have the dog. <laughs> so you robbed yourself of something really good just because you didn't want to be heartbroken. So, uh, you know, so I think you have to actually risk heartbreak if you're going to live at all. Yes, absolutely. I feel like a lot of poets would agree with you. Well, that's good. Always <laughs> well, good to have the poets on your side, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, probably not the kind of heartbreak I was just describing, uh, but there are other kinds of heartbreak. So, you know, so you fall in love with a community. You know, you, I love my city. I love, I love my culture. I love my this. I love my that. Yeah, and that's that's real, right? And then all of a sudden, something happens where you realize there are, there are terrible things that can go on in this place that you've sort of embraced. Right. So, you know, when you see, I don't know, uh, swastikas spray painted onto synagogues or uh, there was a one interesting story where uh, uh, this was right after 9-11 and uh, a mosque was burned down in Burlington. It turned out to be a, some CRC kids from the from the Christian school that wasn't very far away. And uh, now the, there was actually a good end of the story because when that all came out, the, the CRC churches kind of really took this up and uh you know they had they had fundraising drives and so on and so forth and it actually led to you know a, a real moment of graced encounter but you know when you know you hear that and you know the tribal person in you goes oh my goodness that's one of ours doing that you know this this sort of thing uh you know that makes you a little bit that that does not feel good <laughs> that feels a little bit like heartbreak it's a different kind but it's definitely you just feel that this is just so wrong yeah i mean uh 
uh, when the serious stuff was going on, you know, I spoke up at a congregational meeting. I said, well, we've got, we've got to, we have to sponsor a refugee. We, we can't have this. We have to do what we can. And that's a response to heartbreak. So I, I do think it's a universal experience because it's very complicated, right? It's, there's not just one kind, but there's a whole bunch of different kinds of heartbreak, I think. Yeah, I think everybody struggles with it. Universal experience or not, it seems like heartbreak is something that we all share, and that each person can understand in their own kind of way. Certainly, ICS and its small family have had their share of sorrow. Maybe that experience is what, in a way, helps us to reach out, especially as Christians. Maybe we have a better sense of how it is to be human if we've had some heartbreak along the way. The last question I posed for my interviewees was a more introspective one. I wanted to know if these faculty members could stretch back in time and give advice to their younger selves, what would they tell themselves about heartbreak? Would it be advice, warnings, maybe nothing at all? Well, I mean, I lived my uh, childhood thinking, well, when I turn into an adult, you know, all, all these problems will disappear and, and, and life will just go easy and, you know, and I'll be in control. <laughs> yeah, right. But, uh, you know, it was sort of like that. It was the idea of everything will be easy means, yeah, I think it goes the way I, I want it to because I'll be able to arrange this and so on. And, and of course, that's anything but the truth. And also that heartache and what is most precious are... Uh, they're kissing cousins. You know, you, you don't get depth without risk. There's, you, you don't have a heart, the, then you avoid heartache, so to speak, right? So in other words, if you cover over the access to those deepest drives, those deepest intuitions, deepest imaginings, deepest desires, then yeah, okay, you're, you're not going to experience heartache very fast. Uh, your whole life will be a heartache, uh, but you won't experience it. So if you open yourself up, it just goes with living, I think. And I don't know that I wish myself to have known that when I was, you know, 13. Yeah. Yeah, so maybe the same the same kind of intuition that makes you open to wonder is also put you at risk to experience heartbreak. Yeah, that's a very good way. I mean, wonder is a manifestation of openness and vulnerability, for sure. You know, my, my honest gut reaction to answer to that is no, I don't think there is anything. I mean, you can't tell a teenager anything, you know. I'm in that age now where my, uh, you know, my kids just think I'm uh, a doofus is full of crap, you know, and uh, I thought the same thing about my parents and uh, they completely lack any sense that there's some life experience and wisdom there worth appealing to. Every once in a while you'll get a kid who gets that, but they're very special and rare, I think. So I, and I always look at it as like be there for them after their heart gets broken um, to, you know, let them know it gets better or something like that, or that this feeling won't last forever. But uh, um, I don't think there's anything you can tell them to prepare for their own heartbreak. 
yeah, again, it's, you know, it's kind of a, a rite of passage for being a human. How do you think that we should respond to individuals who feel heartbroken because of the church? Just love and acceptance and non, non-judgment. I just, I'm a big believer in the fact that you actually have to listen to people and find out where they're at and walk a mile in their shoes before you can confidently assume that they're right or wrong or justified or unjustified. Um, people don't do things normally for, at least in my experience, for, you know, for light or nonchalant reasons. If they've taken a stand that causes their family pain or something, they're not doing that because they're, you know, playing a game. It's, the stakes are usually pretty high and pretty serious. There's a, a real interesting Canadian cartoonist, goes by the Naked Pastor. I don't know if you've ever seen any of his cartoons, but all of his cartoons are about this. It's about the emotional turmoil of leaving the church. They're not like new atheist cartoons. They don't disparage it, but there's, it's more like, you know, the, the one I can remember is a woman sitting in her car in front of the church and kind of a bit of a monologue on the top where people are walking to church and it was like if she saw it and she knew that she wasn't going to get out of her car and go in and that she was saying goodbye or something like that and then drove away or something and um you know he has a lot of stuff that's very critical of of the fact that that um religious upbringings can be can be psychologically harmful um the other book i'm reminded of is um by a guy who was raised in a very orthodox rule-bound jewish home his name's uh i want to say shalom auslander i think is his name and the book's called foreskin's lament and it's a hard read you know he I think it was him who raised the the concept or interest concept of what he called uh, theological abuse, I think was the term that he used, because he said it's it's an abusive thing to raise a child to fear that if they make a mistake in interpreting the religious rules or obeying the religious rules, that they might be going to hell or something like that. Like that's, and I think that that. Religious traditions have to take stock of to what extent that kind of formation has taken place because I don't think it's, it's there's anything good about it. It's also later on in life, it's hard to have a discussion about anything if you disagree, say, with your parents over a certain stand the church takes on a certain issue if the uh, the automatic assumption is that if you disagree, the eternal fate of your soul hangs in the balance. You can't actually talk about things then and Talking is a pretty important part of working through these kinds of traumatic effects of upbringing, um, religious upbringing. And I'm not saying that, you know, religious uh, upbringing has the monopoly on abuse, but I mean, hum- it's humans who raise their kids, not, you know, whether they're religious or non-religious, they're all fallible and they all make mistakes. And, you know, I've screwed up my kids in many different ways, and I'm sure. So, uh, you know, and, and I mean, there's, it's not the end of the world and there's forgiveness and there's an ability to move on and grow from that. But, um, at the same time, you know, and this is getting back to your original question, we have to, we have to honor people's experience. And if someone says, this is my experience and this has harmed me and this is why I can't go to church anymore or something like that, then we just have to listen and, uh, and accept, I think, yeah, that's, that's where I'm at.
So we've covered a lot of ground in this episode. We've talked about song lyrics, theories about human cognition and interaction, personal struggles, and time-hopping advice. Maybe there's something to be learned from just hearing other human beings talking about how they have experienced heartbreak and what they have done with that experience. Maybe nothing helps at all. Maybe like suffering or evil, heartbreak is something that simply can't be addressed directly, especially not in a low-budget podcast. But perhaps there's value after all in small talk, in piecemeal conversations and glimmers of other people's minds. At least, I have to believe that there is. What do you think? Is heartbreak a universal experience? Does it have levels or categories? Or is all heartbreak alike? What would you tell your younger self about heartbreak that you know now? To join the conversation about heartbreak, or to ask any other questions about our project of wayfinding, you can tweet at the Institute for Christian Studies, or email us at gcarhart at icscanada.edu. For more information about ICS, the Center for Philosophy, Religion, and Social Ethics, or the Wayfinding Project, please visit icscanada.edu. Please also consider leaving us a review on iTunes, just to help more people find out about and keep up with us. Thanks for listening, and keep wondering. Thank you.